0: okay we're life pay mouth blow scatter edge your statutes are wonderful therefore I obey them the unfolding of your words gives light it gives understanding to the simple I open my mouth and pant longing for your commands turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name direct my footsteps according to your word let no sin rule over me redeem me from the oppression of men that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed.
1: Not obeyed, hate when that happens. Um, I'm assuming it's the 23rd. I counted it on my fingers backwards and am I right or am I wrong? 23rd. 23rd, okay. I went from 26 and I knew there were four days so. Okay. um, Let's see here, February 23rd, it was the worst persecution to date. When Diocletian became emperor of the Roman Empire in 284, Christians were encouraged because of rumors that his wife Prisca and daughter Valeria were believers. And in fact, during the first 19 years of his reign, Christians lived in relative peace and prosperity, some even holding high positions in the emperor's court. In civil affairs, Diocletian had great organizational skills to facilitate the rule of the Roman Empire. He established his tetrarchy with two senior emperors called Augusti, himself and, uh, himself and Maximian, and two junior emperors called Caesarius, who was Galerius, his son-in-law, and Constantius, the father of Constantine. Gradually, life became more difficult for Christians, deciding that religious unity would strengthen the empire, Diocletian published three edicts in an attempt to guarantee the supremacy of the Roman state religion. On February 23rd, 303, the day of the Roman feast Terminalia, an edict was posted that that ordered all copies of Scripture to be burned. All churches destroyed, their property confiscated, and Christian worship forbidden. Additional measures were decreed the next day. Christians who resisted no longer had legal recourse. Christians were deprived of any honors in public office, and uh, office where was I? and Christians in the royal household would be enslaved if they did not recant. Thus, the great persecution began. Although it was not uniformly enforced by the four emperors, many Christians first learned of the edicts as they watched their churches go up in smoke. A third edict ordering Christian clergy arrested resulted in a state crisis when the prisons filled, crowding out real criminals. To deal with this problem, the next edict stated that Christian prisoners would be released if they sacrificed to Roman gods. The prison guards could compel them by any means possible to make these sacrifices. But the proclamations did not stop there. In early 304, another edict insisted that everyone in the Roman Empire, clergy and laity alike, Sacrifice to the Roman gods every Christian was now in jeopardy in 305 Diocletian and Maximian abdicated in favor of Constantinus and Galerius effectively ending the persecution in the West since Constantinus or however you pronounce it was not interested in enforcing the edict. The persecution continued in the East until 311, when shortly before his death, Galerius relented and issued an edict of limited toleration, granting freedom of worship if Christians did not disturb the peace. The years of great persecution officially ended with a second edict of toleration, this time by Constantine in 313. The edict of Milan was a great historical event, for it granted religious liberty to Christians and pagans alike. Eusebius, the first church historian and a contemporary of these events, recorded the words of Constantine's edict. They say, perceiving long ago that religious liberty ought not to be denied, but that it ought to be granted to the judgment and desire of each individual to perform his religious duties according to his own choice, we had given orders that every man, Christians as well as others, should preserve the faith of his own sect and religion. We resolve to grant both to the Christians and to all men freedom to follow the religion which they choose. And we decree still further in regard to the Christians that their places in which they were formerly accustomed to assemble shall be restored to the said Christians without demanding money or any other equivalent with no delay or hesitation. For... By this means, the divine favor towards us, which we have already experienced in many matters, will continue sure through all time. Reflection, what would you have done if you had been living in 304 and the Roman emperor decreed that everyone must sacrifice to the Roman gods? This issue may be more relevant than you think if you are alive when Antichrist appears. Well, we don't need to worry about that, but uh, he will demand to be worshiped and require the death penalty for those who refuse. Another beast ordered the people of the world to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die, Revelation 13:11. 11. Okay, um, we don't need to worry about that if we are saved believers in Christ. Uh, I don't know why they would even include that in there unless they have a faulty... Uh, Uh, eschatology. Um, We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and it's not until 2 Thessalonians, which we will be in very soon, where the timeline is given. Um, uh, Maybe what we'll do is we'll just go there before we uh, get into 1 1 Thessalonians today, just to really quickly go through that. But we've got to go to the Lord in prayer. But before we do, I want to say happy birthday to Doe in Ireland. Hi, Doe. She's a wonderful person, Doug's uh, wife. And uh, so we want to say hi to her. And it's not today. It's actually uh, Saturday. But it's either say it before or after. And I'd rather say it before than after. So there you go. Happy birthday, Doug. So Heavenly Father, we're very grateful to you for the chance to come into your presence and to share in your word and uh, just to open it up and to uh, revel in its contents. And uh, Lord, we uh, just ask that you would bless this time together and that uh, you would uh, favor uh, us handling your word properly and if it's not that you would let us know where we have deviated from what is proper and Lord uh, we thank you for the chance to uh, get into your word that is our lifeline back to you during this time well uh, we are waiting for the return of Jesus and so until that day we just we cherish every word that you've given us and we just long to uh, uh, Get into it to know Jesus better, who you are because of who Jesus is, and to just know your heart. So, thank you for your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. Oh, just so you know, before I open up the Bible, I'll show you something. This came in the mail yesterday. This is great. This will segue into something else too. Um, if you look at this, it's from the state of Florida this says that charlie garrett actually it's got my real name on it which i'm not going to r- read that but anyway it says that he has issued a class a wastewater treatment operator until uh, 2025 and also a class c drinking water until 2025 so in case you need an emergency treatment of your uh, wastewater or water I'll help you out with that. There you go. Now, that doesn't mean homes. My friend uh, emailed me and he said, hey, seeing as you're trained in this stuff, um, this is just this past week, he said, what should I do about home treatment? And um, my answer was, we contracted that part out because it's just little systems and it's used for purifying and and taking care of your water at the home. We worked on millions of gallons a day, okay? Uh, The small systems, they were just we let somebody else do that. So we'd have a guy come in and so I can't give you any information about um, you know the uh, water treatment process in your home, but I will tell you this, this is something I've said during a couple updates and now that it's on my mind, you should know this, is that if you have a water purifier at your house, there are different types, there are filters, there's a reverse osmosis, there's all different types of them. But if you have them and it purifies your water to where it is uh, almost in a distilled condition and you drink that, that's very bad for you. Okay? You don't want to have super purified water. And drinking all this stuff, that people, uh, this stuff here, this is uh, Zephyr Hill. So this is spring water. This is fine. But if you get purified water in a bottle, that's not good for you. What you want to do, if you drink that kind of junk, is to add in minerals to your diet. Make sure you take minerals. Because if I drink purified water, what is it going to do to my body? It's going to rob the minerals from my body. The salt water out there has 8% solids for a reason, because water has what's called a hunger, just like your stomach. The more you put in, the more it'll hold. If you want proof of that, go to the Dead Sea. You can almost walk on top of the Dead Sea. It's 26% solids, and it can hold more, okay? So, don't drink purified water, or it's going to rob it out of your bones and your teeth and everything else. So, Um, uh, That's just my little thing because I care about people. Yeah, no, that's just. Glad
0: you got purified water back in the
1: fridge. Yeah, no, this that might be purified. This is this is spring water here. I don't care. I don't drink bottled water ever. But that one was frozen, and so it was on the counter. And I said, no, he's going to want that. So I've been drinking it as it thaws. But I'm not one to drink bottled water. I don't buy it. I drink right out of the tap and. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, anyway, so that's my thing about drinking water. But if you need uh, uh, an emergency, your town suddenly has a crash of your wastewater treatment plants, give me a call. Maybe I'll come out and help you, okay? There you like go. Big vacation. Uh, big vacation. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it'd be just great. Oh, you know, I'm going to say something. She's not here, so I'm going to say this. Don't say anything to her because she's going to take this very shy. But this week, no. Well, you can you can hand that out to people if you want, but this week my wife said she's retiring on 31 July. Wow! Finally, I've been wow. asking for her to do this for years and years, and she's finally going to retire. Her license expires in July, and because her license expires, she's not going to renew it. She's just going to force herself into retirement, and um, so uh, that's the deal with my wife. And we found out what private insurance costs now. Wow. Wow. Had no idea. Now, uh, well, I, I won't say that because that'll give away ages. But anyway, um, uh, real quickly, before we get into 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2, I'm going to take you because we were talking about the Antichrist. If you see the Antichrist, what are you going to do? And so I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians 2, 2. This is going to take five or six minutes, probably, but I want you to see the sequence of events of the unfolding of the end times. If you want a detailed explanation of this with all of the rapture verses in the Bible, you can go back and watch um, uh, the timing of the rapture. I've got the video if you can't find it, but just go to Superior Word, Timing of the Rapture. You'll find two or three videos with that subject, but real quickly. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, okay? That's the coming of the Lord and our gathering to him, okay? Unless you don't believe in a rapture, that is the rapture. Yes. Where? 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 Uh, what, two Thessalonians 2. Mm. Two Thessalonians 2. Yes. Okay. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, we ask you. Now, this is speaking to the church. And a lot of people in the church don't believe there's a rapture. Some of them say it's a heresy to even believe in it, which it's not. Okay. So that they're already on the wrong path. But um, one of the things you're going to hear people say is... Um, The rapture is never mentioned in the Bible, the word rapture. And I've said this a million times. You can give me an answer. What's the matter with that?
0: There are plenty of things that haven't been mentioned that are very much... Described. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, original sin is not mentioned in the Bible, but the the doctrine is clearly taught, okay? The Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but it's clearly taught, okay? So don't let people... Give you those red herrings Th- that's all they are they're just red herrings um uh, w- we d- we will describe the rapture in one thessalonians 4. okay this is paul now describing that so we don't need to guess is he speaking about the rapture we know he is because this is a follow-up letter to one thessalonians okay so we ask you to not be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word Uh, or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ. Now that is what he is setting. He's setting everything based on that right there, the day of Christ. Everybody see that? The day of Christ has come. He said, don't worry that the day of Christ has come. So that is what he is basing his argument on right there. the day of Christ. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So the falling away comes and then the day of Christ. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped. That tells you right there that we're not going to know who that person is because he's not going to be revealed until after. Okay, so it says, um, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining him, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains. There's a debate about who is the restrainer is, okay? People say it's this or it's that, okay? Some people say it's the church, okay? Yeah, well, it is the Holy Spirit, but And I will defend that in the longer argument that I give. And we'll go through this again in 2 Thessalonians. But people say, well, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's the church. What defines the church? The believers who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, absolutely. So it it doesn't matter if you say, oh, it's the church is the restrainer. The church is restraining, which it's not. The church can't get out of its own way. The Holy Spirit is the restrainer, okay? So when the church is taken out, the Holy Spirit in the believers is taken out. Now, people say, well, isn't the Holy Spirit God and he's everywhere? Yes, but that's a a misunderstanding of what Paul is speaking about. God is everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Okay, he's all three of those things. But what that is referring to is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in the tabernacle, there was the presence of God above the cherubim, right? God is everywhere, but there was a specific presence in the tabernacle of God. He had revealed himself in a certain way at that point in human history and in time and space, okay? It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we are bearing the same thing that happened in the tabernacle is happening to us. There is a a pinpointing of God in each believer. That is what's taken out god doesn't take himself out of anything in the big picture it's just that ceiling okay those people who have it so it says um and then the uh, okay uh for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work now get this right here and you'll get the timing of the the rapture and you'll get the fact that we won't be here it says only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken away holy spirit's taken out believers are taken out because the holy spirit will never leave us He is our guarantee of our future redemption, right? Everybody agree with that? Next words, verse 8. And then, in Greek, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So, don't listen to this for your doctrine as far as the Antichrist being revealed. You, if you are a saved believer in Jesus Christ, will not be here when the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And then, Now, having said, and then, and uh, that will happen, that means that we are not going to know who the Antichrist is. It says, and then he will be revealed. So not only are we not going to be here, but he's not even going to be revealed until that time. And so there is this much point and trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. Just There's today. absolutely no reason. What?
0: So I think today on the internet it was like you know, the, the, the Antichrist has been revealed and so and so.
1: All the time people are doing I still this. Here. It's There's like, this guy okay, that okay. writes this one site that everybody goes to all the time. He's a King James only guy. He, they link his articles all the time and he's always talking about the man of sin, the man of sin. It's the guy in France, Macron, and he's identified him. Right. You have no idea and then he will be revealed if you got your eyes on the Antichrist you don't have them on Jesus Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. Hebrews 12 2. go read that okay so that's that's all we need to talk about there if you want all of the details in a big long presentation probably 40 minutes long the superior word the timing of the rapture and like I said you'll get two or three videos come up and watch one of those and it will give you all the information you need don't worry about people telling you who the Antichrist is or that we've entered the tribulation period or any of that crazy stuff because that is what Paul was refuting right there. The day of Christ did come. People were saying 2,000 years ago that the day of Christ, meaning the day of the Lord, had come. We're not there yet. We're Nothing not going new. to be there and we're not going to have to face that. Okay. Now, we are in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2.
0: We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers.
1: Okay. Um, that was verse 3, and the reason why... um no, it 2. Yeah, well, it, the reason why is... Oh, I'm in Colossians, I see. Because remember, <laughs> it would help to be no, in the I right would. book, but remember yeah. last week there yeah, was yeah, a yeah, difference yeah. in it anyway, right. and so it had me off until I realized I was completely in the wrong book. But you're right. Verse 2 does say that in this one. They dropped out an entire part of that from his verse, and so we had to go through that And I thought that was still ongoing but now we're in the book of Thessalonians and we don't have that problem anymore Uh, verse 2 we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers so they just kind of restructured it but it's the same thing okay so let me pull out my comments on this and then one verse 2 this is a greeting which even if slightly amended for the occasion is common to Paul's letters in some letters, the stress is on the thanks. In others, it is on the prayers. It is rather close to the words that I was just looking at, thinking he was in the wrong verse of Colossians 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God Uh, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So it's almost saying the same thing, okay? So uh, he says this, and he will give a little bit of focus on the thanks, a little bit of focus on the prayer in this epistle or that, but he's pretty standard in how he opens his letters. He's he's rather consistent in this. Anyway, um, however, when he wrote his letter to the Thessalonians, he notably gives thanks to God rather than to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we saw in Colossians, okay? He has already carefully placed Christ Jesus within the Godhead in the previous verse. And so the thanks are obviously to him as much as they are to the Father. And so he doesn't need to say all that extra stuff that he did in the book of Colossians because he's acknowledged the Father, he's acknowledged the Son who is God, and so all he needs to do is say God in this verse, okay? Um, uh Therefore, Paul combines the two into the simpler term, God, okay? Here, he notes that he, Silvanus and Timothy, and his words, give thanks to God always for you all. These thanks are lifted to God, who is both Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody got that? God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. God is all three of them, okay? That is how we define God, okay? And then we have the Godhead. This is God the Father. This is God the Son. This is God the Holy Spirit. Okay, I understand that the Trinity is a very difficult thing to grasp for a lot of people, and I know that people struggle with it. If you want to see a careful explanation of it, both from verses in Scripture and a logical defense of the Trinity, you can go back and you can watch the Superior Word um, Doctrine. Go to the Doctrine playlist, and then you'll see, uh, scroll down, and you'll see, I think it's the third video, the Trinity. Okay, and I talk about the Trinity, and then after that, the what?
0: How appropriate.
1: Yeah, it's called the Trinity. And then after that, we defend the uh, deity of Jesus Christ, and then the humanity of Jesus Christ. And we also speak of the deity of God the Father, which everybody acknowledges, and then the deity of the Holy Spirit, which, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't acknowledge the deity of either the Son or the Holy Spirit. And so you have to defend it, because there are people that say that it's not taught. Well, it's very clearly taught. But go to the Trinity, see that and then you can watch the other sermons and get a fuller understanding of the role of Christ in there. But God is God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each is a member within the Godhead. Okay? Um, So um, let's see here. Uh, These thanks that are given by them is, oh, I read that. Um, uh, There is, as always, his wording highlights the deity of Jesus Christ. There is the human Jesus and there is the Christ of God being God. Okay? So when you think of Christ, that is God within his humanity. That is God coming down from the Godhead. He's the one that indwelt humanity. So he's putting on garments of flesh. All right. That is Christ. Christ is the merging of God and Jesus. Jesus, when we say that, is his humanity. And so it's it's you have to go watch the, uh, the sermons on the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and then you'll understand these principles a little more. But um, uh, the human Jesus, there is the Christ of God being God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ who issues from God the Father and who dwells with the Father in the Godhead. It is to this God that their thanks are directed at this point. In their thanks, he then notes that they are making mention of you in our prayers Paul's idea of praying without ceasing, which was found at the end of, uh, I'm sorry, which will be found at the end of this book, uh, which he will state later. It'll be chapter 5, verse, uh, not 16, that's rejoice always. Anyway, he'll say it in chapter 5, is evident in these words that he's saying right now. Whenever the thought of one of his beloved churches came to mind, he and those with him would utter forth a prayer to God on its behalf okay? This is the way Paul handled prayer. Other people handle prayer differently. We kind of talked about that last week, all right? Um, for me, it's it's a hard thing to do to spend more than a, not a long time in prayer. I'm talking about just personal prayer. That's not an easy thing for me to do. What's easier for me to do is to just talk to God while I'm working. Oh, God, this person came to mind. I pray for them, and just, you know, uh, my brain doesn't focus real well on one thing it's always going all over the place okay so everybody's got their own thing as far as a prayer but Paul said pray without ceasing and he says you know right here he explains his idea without ceasing it's just the church comes to mind he says a prayer for him doesn't have to get on his knees doesn't need to close his eyes he doesn't need to do any of those things he just prays for him so um, he and those with him at those times would utter forth a prayer to God on its behalf When they talked about one of the churches, they would probably issue forth a quick prayer of both thanks and petition for it. To them, praying was certainly a normal extension of their regular lives and conversations, okay? Um, I was saying, uh, uh, insurance, okay? So we need to get insurance because my wife is retiring. And wow, what a headache that is. At first I thought, you know, we have to do one thing and then I found out you don't have to do that and you can do something else and it's a difficult thing to try to get insurance when you've been insured by somebody your whole life. Mine has been the U.S. government and then it was the, you know, the private company that uh, ran the wastewater plant I was at and then it was Sarasota County when they took over the... But we've always had insurance and then when I left all of those, Hideko was a nurse and so I just went under her. We've never had to worry about getting our own insurance. But I said, I'm not going with Blue Cross and Blue Shield after what they did a week and a half ago, okay? I, I will never do that. And so I need to find something else. And then I remembered MediShare and I called them. They're a Christian company. They 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 can't say they're insurance, okay? So they use different terms. Instead of saying that uh, this is your deductible, they have a term that they use. They can't use the word deductible because if they do, then suddenly they... the the government says, well, you are an insurance company and so we're going to start handling you differently. All it is is just changing terms. That's all it is. It's an insurance company and it's Christian based. Everybody there is a Christian. You have to uh, agree to certain Christian principles. But when you get done talking with them on the phone, and I know this because three times I talked to them in one day and all three times they said, what can we pray with you about? Right then. And then I said, well, pray for this. And they said, okay, well, then let's do it right now. Okay, so this is a Christian company. They stop and they pray with you about the things that are on your mind. And I was so encouraged by that. And that's what they do as an extension of their regular lives. Insurance is their business, or I can't say insurance, but whatever it is. Um, uh, it, MediShare, they have a term for it. Anyway, that is their regular business, but they have incorporated into it prayer. And it's very well done. These, these people are uh, geared toward it. Uh, they're very polite on the phone you never talk to somebody without them saying have a blessed day because you get transferred to this person or that and they all say you know may the lord bless you and they're they're just very good about this so consider If you need insurance or if you're tired of your own insurance company, consider going with MediShare. They've already done over 9 billion transactions. They started 40 or 50 years ago. They've done billions of transactions, okay? So it's not like they're a a run-of-the-mill company that hasn't been around. They are established. They uh, have very good policies. Go with MediShare if you can. Okay, so. Uh, That is an extension of their regular lives and conversations, just like Paul and those he's with, where they would stop and pray about things. Life application. God already knows the end from the beginning. His plan is also complete in his mind. And so people will say, well, if God already knows the end from the beginning, then I have no choice in my salvation a.k.a. Calvinism. They say, well, you have no free will because God has already determined that you will be saved. And that's not what that says. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? It says that you must believe. God just happens to know if you are going to believe or not, okay? It doesn't change the fact that you have to believe. And the same thing, you ask a Calvinist, do you pray? What are they going to say? Well, of course we pray. And they're, well, why would you do that? If God knows the end from the beginning and you have no choice in your salvation, then obviously you have no choice in what you pray for. And so why even bother? That's the logical conclusion of, of taking those two precepts from Calvinism and showing the complete dysfunction in their uh, thinking. Okay? The fact is that if you don't pray, then God never would have heard that prayer and he knew that before time began. It doesn't mean that you don't pray. It means that you do pray, and God already knows you're going to pray or you're not going to pray. An unspoken prayer is a prayer that will not be responded to. Okay, how do we know that? Because Paul says all the way through his writings, pray, pray, pray. And guess what he got that from? He got it from Jesus, who said pray, pray, pray. Okay, and all the way through the Old Testament, people are praying. All right, so we don't have to worry about the thinking of people that say there's no point in praying because God already knows the end from the beginning. He knows if you're going to pray or not, and if you don't, your prayer is not going to be heard or responded to. Pray, okay? So, God figures our prayers into the plan just as our free will calling on Jesus is figured into the plan. If we don't receive Jesus, we will not be saved. Despite what Calvin teaches and what all those people around the world teach, You have to receive Jesus, and if you don't do that, you will not be saved, okay? That's just the way it is. If you don't, what is it? I just typed this verse today, all right? I'll take you to Acts. It was 15, and I think it was probably, I don't know. I'll look for it, and I'll read it to you. Just type this today, and I make this exact point in that. He says, um, uh, where was that? Why do you put a neck? Okay, God. All right, I think it was... um, Acts fifteen verse eight. So God who knows the hearts acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit. What did he just acknowledge? This is Peter speaking. God knows the beginning for the end. He knows the heart. Right. What's he knows the heart. You're not gonna fake him out. You're not gonna fake him out. And so it means that you have to actively believe. And that's Peter, if you follow his words here, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, right here, no distinction between us and them, speaking of Jews and Gentiles. If you follow those four or five verses right there and compare them to Paul's gospel, Romans 10, nine, and 10, 1 Corinthians 15, three, and four, you are going to see that they say exactly the same thing. Right. There's not two different gospels. There's one gospel, one gospel. It goes to Jew and to Gentile. They say exactly the same thing, that you believe in your heart, And God will save you. And then what I did, obviously, because Peter is speaking about something that he saw. I'll go back and read you the whole thing. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, because Paul is saying you don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved, and the Pharisees that stood up said you do need to be circumcised and observe Moses, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that... By my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What is he speaking about? Peter is speaking about something that, by his mouth. Yeah, we went to the, uh, Roman, centurion. That's right, in Caesarea. Cornelius the centurion, and what does it say? We'll go back and we'll read that so you can see this. Um, uh, he gives the gospel, and it's in a greater thing. Paul gives the very simplest gospel in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, right? Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again according to the scriptures, okay? That's the the very bare-bones gospel. That does not mean that you have to say those exact words for somebody to respond and be saved. You can add in anything you want. You can talk for an hour. You can talk for five minutes. You're giving them a logical reason why they need Jesus, right? But in your words, you want to include those three basic things. That Jesus is God that he died for your sins that he was buried that he rose again and that proves that he's God okay so what is it it says here we'll go back and we'll read this um, we'll start in verse 38 of chapter 10 of Acts how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses of all things which he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed here it is by hanging him on a tree. So there's the death. Him God raised on the third day. There's the resurrection, but if he was raised on the third day, that means that he was what for three days? He was dead, he was buried. Okay, so he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again. So there's the gospel, and then he goes on. He says, and he commanded us to preach, to the people, which he's doing to a Gentile, not to a Jew. It's the same words he speaks to the Jews. And to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, Jesus, whoever believes in him, reads the heart. He just said the heart. Now he's saying whoever believes in him. So the heart is belief will receive remissions of sin. So you go to Romans 10, 9 and 10, and it, Paul says, with the heart you believe unto salvation, and with the mouth. Uh, anyway, you, you got it. Yes. Um, yeah, so um, and we'll, and we'll read that next. Um, While Peter was still speaking, here it is. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, not circumcised, but saved sealed with the Holy Spirit okay and so that is what we're talking about right there and then as we said Romans Romans 10 9 10 you've got the simple gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 3 & 4 Paul expands on it a little bit but he ties it in exactly with what um, uh, Peter just said in Romans 10 and what is being said now in 1 Thessalonians 1 Um, let's see Romans 10 9 and 10 and then 11 12 and 13 that whole area he kind of re-explains it Uh, The word that you preach, the word must be preached. The word, it doesn't have to be written, but it is the word of God. It's explaining what happened. The word, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, there it is, believe in your heart, so God is reading the heart, where was I? Okay. Uh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And then he explains it. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay. And last week, you know, I, I put her on the spot. Jody, uh, have you seen the numbers on that? That's like better than all the sermons. Uh, and it's even better than my my weekend things. Um, uh, it, we did... Jim didn't open for us on Sunday because there was a lot going on. You know, We had people playing music and all kinds of stuff. And so um, I thought, I just want to do something short, and it turned out to be way longer. (laughs) I know. I thought it would take two minutes. It turned out to be like, I didn't realize until I edited how long it was. Anyway, I walked back and I said, we need to do something really quickly just to open the church. And I said, she said, what what do we do? I said, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and you're either going to accept him or reject him. And she's like, Okay. And I gave her one parameter, only one. And uh, then we came out and we did it. And I thought, oh, it's only going to take, you know, that just took 30 seconds to read that. It's only, and it was like, 15 minutes long or 20 minutes long.
0: You went into detail on each long. point, which was it, good.
1: 25 minutes long. Okay, yeah, well, I, you know, I didn't realize it. We're just having a conversation, which is what you would do on the street. And so I wasn't worried about time. I was just worried about giving the details. And she'd say something, I'd respond. And it was totally off the cuff. We didn't practice it. You know, I And one of the things that I thought, somebody, I, I haven't read the comments, but I, I read a couple of the first day comments. But... Um, somebody is going to say well she didn't confess with her mouth the lord jesus she did i said you can pray silently and you don't need to pray out loud that's not confessing the lord jesus i asked her specifically do you believe this and she says yes i believe it because i had explained that jesus is god i had explained that jesus died for her sins i had explained that he was buried and that he rose again proving he's god do you believe this and she said yes So she confessed the Lord Jesus with her mouth. But I can see some person, they love to get in there and hide behind their keyboards and eviscerate you, you know. So anyway, I could just see it. But I didn't realize it was 25 minutes, you know, because when I'm editing them, I edit at double speed. And so it's going very quickly. And so I'm figuring, ah, it's still, it's a little longer than I expected, but 25 minutes. Wow. Anyway, okay. um, And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to release that again as my weekend video instead of doing a, a fishing video or something, I'm gonna release it again under a different name. Well, and, I saw
0: you put the, the questions in there. Oh, yeah. That's, that's helpful.
1: Good, just in case, you never know when somebody might click on it and, yeah. you know, the second video is probably not gonna get a lot of views. Doesn't matter. Hopefully it'll get views from people that are based on the title, not opening comments or whatever I said in that. Okay, anyway, so back to uh, one, two. Um, Life application, I'll read this again. Instead, God figures our prayers into the plan. We were just talking about that, believing in your heart, just as our free will calling on Jesus is figured into the plan. If we don't receive Jesus, we will not be saved. Likewise, prayers that are not uttered are not heard. And a prayer does not need to be uttered out loud. It can be uttered to God in your own... And we know that God is... He reads our hearts and minds. It says it like a billion times in different ways. But specifically, it says it in Isaiah, I think, two times. It says it a couple times in the New Testament. And it finishes up in the book of Revelation where Jesus says, I am he who reads hearts and minds. Okay, so uh, you don't need to say things out loud. You're meditating on Jesus. You're talking to him and your, your heart. He knows okay anyway uh, prayers that are not uttered are not heard god's foreknowledge of all things outside of time factors in our actions within the stream of time so pray if you don't pray he knew you were not going to pray and he is not going to answer that prayer okay and then paul goes so far i can't remember the verse but he goes so far as to say the prayers of the many he indicates that people praying collectively will have an effect okay I think he was specifically talking about his release from prison but it might have been something else and I'm not remembering it right now but anyway the prayers of the many so uh, corporate prayer there's personal prayer there are all kinds of different types of prayer and you just want to be engaged in prayer that's what we do okay some are uh, intended to convict people some are intended to uh, you know uh, give people a sense of emotion Prayers have all kinds of, of ways of being done, and the purpose is often different. So you, there's nothing that is written in stone. You must do this at this time of the day or at this time of the church service or anything like that, okay? Prayer is totally up to the person who is praying, okay? One of the things that I, I uh, do every year, I've done it for the past, I don't know how many years, is they always ask me to open the uh, 4th of July Uh, patriots down in uh, uh, Sarasota at the uh, kissing statue would you open us again this year and they just keep asking me to come so I keep typing prayers every year for it and then last year I couldn't go because it was on Sunday Sunday morning and so I typed it they said well would you please type one and we'll read it and I said okay so I typed it and they opened with it but um, uh, that is a different type of prayer That is a motivational prayer. It's a prayer to exalt God, to ask him to come back into uh, the nation, to bring about a change in people. A completely different type of prayer than we would say on Sunday morning here, okay? But sometimes during the update, though, especially when Trump was in office, we would stop and we would pray that type of a prayer for him and his wisdom in governing the nation. Uh, there's no point in doing that now because the person that's in office has no wisdom at all he, he's devoid of any wisdom he's almost devoid of a brain at this point but if we're gonna pray for him the only thing we're gonna pray for that guy is for salvation that's it there's nothing else to pray for because he's not in with God he has no charge either yeah well he's not in charge either that's right <laughs> well you, you can't be in charge if you don't have anything going on upstairs that's a fact anyway um so yeah the guy is just Uh, whatever. Okay, so um, uh, we're in 1-3 now.
0: We We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: That is a long verse, but still, it's completely differently written in this one. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God, and of our God and Father. Okay, so it's completely differently you worded. Shuffle. Yeah, they, they just shuffled it around. They they did one of these things. They came up with it. You know, I read something talking about shuffling. This has nothing to do with the Bible, but it was so interesting because it has to do with, uh, you know, the wisdom of God will say, if you have, they say, and I find this almost impossible to believe. But they've done the numbers. They say that if you take a deck of cards and you shuffle them, the chances of them coming in the same order as any card that has ever been shuffled in the history of card shuffling is like one in Zupu, 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 Zupu Zupu billions. It's impossible. It will not happen. That you will be shuffling forever until you come to another repetition. And if it happens, it's completely by chance. But every time you shuffle, it is an original shuffle that has never happened before. And I thought, that that seems almost incredible. But they showed the numbers, mm-hmm. and I thought, that's nothing. That's literally nothing. Think of it. It's just 52 cards. Right. Think of the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. Everything in this universe that he has created, everything falls that happens, mm-hmm. everything falls into place. And we're dealing with 52 cards, and they're saying that you will never shuffle ever, the same shuffle as another person is shuffled. And I I couldn't believe it. I'm like, how can that be? But the numbers...
0: That also promotes that there's not going to be anything like randomly evolved.
1: Randomly evolved is so far beyond 52 (laughs) cards Mm -hmm. that... um, uh, uh, Okay. I don't need that, and I hope it doesn't ring again. I'm not going to open it, but I just didn't want that to uh, ring again during the class. Yeah, exactly. That That's exactly right. I mean, the DNA sequencing is so far beyond 52 cards. Right. So far beyond it. that, And that shows you the wisdom and the mind of God. That he's got... Billion people currently. How many billion prior... At how many billions and billions Everyone's and billions unique. of people... Oh, no. ...and we're all completely unique. You know, even... You know, I was thinking about um people that clone their dogs i want to have my same dog they're not getting anything even similar to the same dog from the moment that dog is born even in the womb every experience is factored into its little brain okay everything in this universe is so complicated it is so complicated and yet god knows every single bit of it every bit of it and we we think about well that's on the planet earth he's got trillions of stars out there and every star's got these these planets going around them and he's aware of all of this. And we take the the majesty of God and we say, well, I don't believe in him. It, it just we're a hopeless species. I'm gonna tell you what, without Jesus Christ we are completely hopeless. We underestimate the magnitude. If David standing on this planet thinking he's the only Thing that God is doing in the universe is, you know, you look up and you see these pinpoints poked in the sky and you think this is it. And if he could say, you know, uh, let me read it to you. It just If he can say this and now we know what he didn't know, I gotta tell you how guilty we are. How absolutely guilty we are. Here's what he says. I'm not even gonna try to quote it because the heavens declare the glory of God And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. And he goes on talking about the sun and all these things that are going on. And then he ties it in with the precepts of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And we're, we're amazed that 52 cards will never shuffle the same. That, that shows you how fallen we are, that we can't think of the majesty of God. Anyway, we'll get into this verse. Um, uh, I'm not going to read it again. Paul now details what is specifically included in the prayers concerning those at Thessalonica that he referred to in the previous verse. He says they are remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. These are the three tenets which he beautifully wrote about to the Corinthians. Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Yes, I remember reading that at somebody's wedding not too long ago. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13. Each of these is in the genitive. And so they, as noted by Charles Ellicott, are almost equivalent to a very emphatic adjective. In other words, work of faith would equate to faithful activity. In in this, it is a kind of work which is, this is Ellicott's words, characterized by faith and promoted by faith. Labor of love would equate to loving labor. It is a labor worked out because of and for the sake of love. And patience of hope would equate to hopefully patient. It is a patience which is grounded in hope and which is continuously nurtured by that same hope. This is the way that Paul is describing it in the Greek, in the genitive case. Each of these traits is in those at Thessalonica, as Paul says, in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his words. What is more appropriate is of our Lord Jesus Christ. In all three of these traits, Jesus is the object. He's not the subject. We have the hope of love of our Lord in our work of faith. We have hope of our Lord in our labor of love and we have hope of our Lord in our patience of hope because he came because he is with us and because he is coming again we have this hope fully and completely this is what Paul is saying and so you know little words like the word is, is how it's pronounced in Greek E i s. it can mean a lot of different things in the context is what drives what is being said and people will even argue over the context and so they may say in our uh, work of faith or of our work of faith or what to our work of it whatever the word can be uh, that's one word it's only three letters it's like our word we'll just say four but it can be used in a lot of different ways will Groben, i remember him emailing me when he was at dallas and he was uh, uh in um hebrew and greek that's what he uh you know majored in and He was going through the advanced Hebrew and Greek, and he said, I almost broke my brain. And I know when you you, you study so hard that your head actually thinks it's gonna like explode. He said, I almost broke my brain over that word because you, you wanna be precise. You wanna know this is what God is telling us, and I don't wanna mistranslate the Bible. Now, you know, And that's why it's so sad that people aren't willing to check these things out. They open one version, they say, this is the version, This is. I'm going to stick with this forever. It's got all kinds of errors in there, but I don't care, I'm going to stick with that. The more you study, the more you learn. It's fine to read one version, but when you finish it, maybe read another version and just keep going. Keep reading, keep studying, keep learning, because one little word, in or of, can make a really big difference. I'll read that again so you see what I'm saying. Each of these traits is in those at Thessalonica. Paul just gave those three traits, as Paul says. And then Paul says in this version, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the New King James Version probably follows the King James and it says in. Okay. What is more appropriate is of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll read the comments so you can get it. In all of these traits, Jesus is not the object. He is the subject. We have the hope of our Lord in our work of faith. We have hope of our Lord in our labor of love. And we have hope of our Lord in our patience of hope. Because he came, because he is with us, and because he is coming again, we have this hope fully and completely. One little word can change the entire thought process of what's going on. It's not going to affect your salvation, it can affect how you perceive what you are doing and why you're doing it in the first place or what is the goal of it okay so finally he notes that our hope of the Lord Jesus Christ is and this is Paul's words now in the sight of our God and Father this means basically before or in the presence of because of our hope in Christ the attentive eyes of our Heavenly Father are upon us he is pleased to have a relationship with us once again because of the merits of Christ. Now think of it: before we came to Christ, He could not have a relationship with us because we had sin in us. And it says, "Your eyes are too holy, so too pure, too holy to uh, look upon sin." I, I know I just blew that verse, but anyway, um, uh, basically He says it. He says elsewhere, "Your sins have separated you from your God." Your sins. Uh, uh, Come on, Burke, help yeah, me out. To okay, have separated you from your God. Okay, anyway, uh, you got these verses that let us know that God cannot fellowship with man. He cannot. When you have sin in you, which we all have sin from the moment we're born, God cannot accept us. There's no fellowship at all, okay? And the only way to have that reconciled is by faith in his provision, which is the Messiah. He had uh, that restored in Abraham when Abraham believed him and God credited it to him for righteousness. It was a future hope in the coming of Messiah. God can now fellowship with Abraham in a way that he could not before, okay? The same is true after the cross, but in a more full sense, is it when we, before we come to Jesus Christ, we're separated from God. We have no fellowship with God. Doesn't matter what people think and what they believe, and they have all these emotional experiences that they say this is of God, as irrelevant. Without Jesus Christ, it is not of God. But when we come to Jesus and we believe the gospel message, now we have the eyes of God upon us. And it's not because we have changed in and of ourselves. It's because we have changed positionally in Christ. God is looking at us through the lens of Christ, and so he can filter out the sin that we have in us. It is covered by the blood of Christ. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to look at us. But with Christ, all things are possible. God can now fellowship with us. He, Jesus is our Redeemer and our mediator and so in him and through him we are brought into the very presence of God okay a Redeemer is the one that purchases us back he buys us back from the power of sin a mediator is the one who intervenes between God and man man has fallen we cannot have a relationship with God there must be a mediator and that is why the priest, the high priest of Israel in the Old Testament was a fallen, fallible man. And when he mediated for the people, he had to do what first? He had to sacrifice for his own sin. He was not actually mediating at all before God because he had his own sin and the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But God was using Christ in the process to allow this to happen as a typological representative of what God was going to do in Jesus, okay? So his mediation was ineffective apart from Christ, okay? Any guy anywhere on the planet could say, we're making a tabernacle and we're gonna build it just like the one in the, uh, the uh, Bible and we're gonna start sacrificing and so God is gonna accept that and it won't work because it is not in accord with what God was saying. This is typological of the coming of Christ. It was a lesson, it was a tutor to lead them to Christ. And without Jesus none of those things would have been accepted at all okay but Jesus is the perfect mediator he doesn't need to sacrifice for his own sins when he presented his blood it was for our sins he didn't need to sacrifice for his own sins so now he is our mediator but then John adds in one more role of God in this this aspect in his uh, uh, I think it's in the first epistle what is it he says That Jesus Christ is we have a begins with a advocate that's right we have an advocate an advocate is not a mediator an advocate is one that stands and says I am representing this person mediation is a little bit different they're very similar but an advocate is one that says I have uh, spoken for this person and if you accept me then you have to accept him okay it's it, it very similar to a mediator but there is a difference and if you don't understand the difference go to Google right now type in mediator and type in advocate and they will explain it a lot better than I can without it written in front of me I'll, i tell you what I can do it because I've got Google right here alright while you're um, doing it
0: uh, mediation each party will have an advocate
1: that that's well. right and so. that's the difference mm-hmm. um, okay so uh, that's exactly they're very close, but here, let me. Um, uh, me a mediator. We're just going to type it in, and if they do a good job, they'll tell you exactly what a mediator is. Um, yes.
0: Separation. Is Isaiah fifty nine
1: two. Isaiah fifty nine two. Go ahead and read it real loud.
0: But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. That's and it. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that
1: he, he does not got- hear does not hear. He, that's that's it. That's exactly right. It's all one verse and he does not hear because your sins have separated you from him. Okay, mediator. One that mediates. You know, isn't that funny when they take the word and put it in the definition? Right, right. That's not a good, uh, anyway, especially one that reconciles differences between disputants. Okay, a substance or structure that mediates. A, once again, they keep putting in the word "mediate," but you get the point. It is a person that works between two parties. Okay, an advocate, on the other hand, advocate, advocate. Okay, is um, to speak, plead, or argue in favor of. Okay, to support, to act as an advocate. They're very similar, but they are not the same. And so John throws in that he is our advocate. Okay. Paul says that he is our, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay. So they're, they're all his roles. He is doing those things for us. All right. And we ought to be grateful to God for it because that is what we call grace. He was under no obligation to do what he did. We are the ones that turned from him. You know, I was sitting there just yesterday thinking of exactly this. It's coming back to me because anyway, um, uh, here we are, it's because somebody sent me an email. It's, it's coming back now. Anyway, um, uh, we are the ones that offended God. He was under no obligation to do anything at all to bring us back to himself. And that tells you that if he was willing to go through what he went through, God entering into and uniting with humanity in the womb of a woman, in order to bring us back to himself, it tells you that there is some importance in us and when I look around at people and I think the things we're doing in this world, what is it that you see? And, you know, and David asked that question. What is man that you're mindful of him? David understood that. What is it that God sees? But there is an importance in us that he felt it was worth doing what he did. That is grace. God saying there is something that is of value that will last for all eternity, and I am going to initiate the process of making it Happen. That's impressive. Okay.
0: The, the uh, mediator that you mentioned, First Timothy two four. Right. I was talking to a Catholic person. A lot of people in here were Catholic. Ex Catholics,
1: Ex-Catholics, yeah.
0: He 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 said, I've never heard that.
1: And you well, can tell some it, of them, and they just, it's he like... He wanted
0: to read it, and he read it, and he said, I'm amazed. Yeah, one mediator. Yeah, and that's There's the argument. Pages
1: in there, too. What there are a I lot said? more. Start reading it, buddy. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, there are times where I will say to somebody exactly that. Why are you going to a priest? Right. That priest can't do anything for you. And I explain what I just did about mediation. <sighs> Christ is the only one that can mediate. They already have sin. If they are covered by Christ then they don't need a mediator other than Jesus. And because Jesus is their mediator, why would you need them to mediate for you? Yeah. Because it says that he's the one mediator. The whole thing is illogical. Mm. But they are so into this religion, yeah. this this religion that they miss the point of what Jesus has done. You're, I'm glad you did that. One mediator. One. <coughs> okay, life application. Did I? Yes, I did read that. <coughs> Paul's words of this verse Show us that our works are to be works of faith in order to be pleasing to God. Any work not done in faith will not be credited to our account of heavenly rewards. That's very clear. I say that quite often uh, during sermons because I think it's a point that people need to understand. And uh, commentaries, I will include that as well from time to time. If what you do is not in faith, You cannot expect a reward for it in the Bema Seed or at the Bema Seed of Christ. You will get no reward for it if it's not a deed of faith. Okay, having said that, and I always like to bring this example up because it's one that is so obvious, is that uh, Paula White, she's just a good example, preacher that's been up in Tampa all these years. She was Paula and Randy White, and then they got divorced and she got married again. It just goes on and on, never mind the Bible. But anyway, um, she'll have thousands and thousands of people sometimes in a stadium and she's out there preaching this nonsense prosperity gospel but suppose 50% of the people that are there heard the gospel and they came to Jesus. Just suppose that happened. We'll just, I'm making a supposition. I'm not saying it's the case but 50% of this, 26,000 people in this this uh, stadium and 13,000 of them come to Christ. How many will she get rewards for when she stands before the Lord? Zero. 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 She's going to get zero. One, because the Bible says you're not to be a preacher. And there's men in there. A woman is not to have authority, a uh, teacher have authority over men. And two, she, well, that's basically it right there. She's violating scripture. But secondly, she's not doing what she's doing out of faith. But forget the faith part. I'm not the one that reads the heart. I am the one that reads the Bible. And the Bible says that she is not to be a preacher or a teacher of men. And it's not just women in the congregation, it's filled with men too, all with their uh, little hopes of getting rich or whatever it is. If you are in violation of scripture, you're not working in faith. And if you're not working in faith, you are going to get no rewards. So make sure that what you're doing is in accord with the word and your heart is geared for it, for the Lord Jesus, okay? Anyway, every work, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, it doesn't matter how small it is, It will be credited to us if it is in faith. The one I brought up, Jody and I were talking about something on Saturday, and uh, I brought up this lady, she comes to mind all the time. I was in a church and uh, it may have been a story that somebody said, or it may have been somebody that they knew in this church. Anyway, I don't know this lady personally, but she was bedridden and she had pictures of people all over her walls. And she prayed for every single one of those people every single day and if somebody brought a new picture in she prayed for that person as well that is a person living in faith while she can't do anything else every single prayer that she utters is in faith that she's praying to the God who hears and therefore every single prayer no matter how seemingly insignificant her deeds are are going to be rewarded at the Bema Seat of Christ okay that is how it works if you are doing something in faith you will be rewarded for it. But it has to be faith in Christ. If you have faith that you're going to go uh, to heaven when you pull a string and blow up 400 people in a shopping mall, you're not going to get any rewards for that because it's not done in Christ. So you have to have the, the boxes right. The first boxes get saved. Believe in Jesus. There's the most handsome boy I've ever seen in my life. Thank you. Thank you very much. Just put it down and I'll pick it up on the way out. Got mom's dinner for us. Love you. All right, take care. Anyway, how's her grandma doing today? She's good. She's at Sunnyside. Good. Okay. Yeah. Um, His um, faith, his wife's um, grandmother had a stroke, and so she's at Sunnyside now. So if you want to check her out somewhere, she's there. What's her name? Um, Stutzman. Yeah, but what's her first name? Wow, I can't even think of it. Okay. Well, anyway, Miss (laughs) Stutzman. Yeah, Miss Stutzman. Okay. Love you, Thor. Have fun. All right, so uh, faith, faith. Every work uh, will be rewarded if it's done in faith in all ways and at all times. Our walk with the Lord comes down to faith. We are saved by faith. We are justified by faith. And our works are credited to our account when done in faith. Have faith. Okay, that's it. And if, if you're doing something, you're just doing it for whatever reason. It's not done in faith. It's you're not going to get a reward for it. Now um, yeah,
0: you uh, can sing
1: living by faith. I'm not going to sing anything because if I do, everybody here will t- go into <laughs> tears and it won't be in joy. There won't be joyous tears, I can tell you that. Okay, one four.
0: For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you.
1: Okay, this one, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Okay. Uh, You know, people often say, well, you don't believe in predestination. Okay. Of course I believe in predestination. It says right there in the Bible, we are predestined. I just don't believe the way you believe. And the same thing is true with election. Well, you don't believe in the elect. Of course I do. He speaks of election right here. I just don't believe the way you do. Okay. God does not elect some and pass over others and force them to become Christians. The elect are the people that come to him and believe and are saved. Anyway, um, he mentions election. He mentions predestination. I had somebody one time write me and say, well, you don't believe in the Nephilim. Well, of course I do. They're right in the Bible. I just don't believe the way you do. Okay? You got to think things through to their logical end. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. I just not may believe the way that you do. Okay. The translation of the New King James Version, which follows after the King James Version, is completely wrong. Are we in? Yes, 1-4. Is that what we just read? Um, yes, 1-4. Okay. Um, I want to make sure I'm on the right verse. Like last week I got off. So it should read, Knowing, brothers, beloved by God, your election. Okay, I'm going to read it the way the New, the New King James Version says. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by... God. See the difference? Let me read it again. Um, knowing brothers, beloved by God, your election. See the difference? Election by God or uh, your election, uh, you are beloved by God. It's completely different. Elected by God or beloved by God. Which is it? Okay. Uh, the words by God are tied to beloved, not election. As Vincent's word studies accurately states, neither here nor elsewhere in the New Testament is there any warrant for the revolting doctrine that is that God has predestined a definite number of mankind to eternal life and, to, and the rest to eternal destruction. That is Calvinism. God has chosen these people before he created anything. I am going to save a certain number of people and all the rest that come, I'm going to condemn. Okay? Now, that may be true in the logical sense, because God does not think like we do, and he knows everybody that's going to be saved. It is just not his choice. His choice is that all will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful evening, y'all. So, you see the difference there? Paul, uh, Peter clearly says that God wants all to be saved, and he is even delaying certain things so that everybody has a chance. Okay? But, The fact is, not willing that any should perish, that all should should come to a saving repentance a repentance. Okay, there you go. So, um, and that's what the Bible says. So what Calvinism teaches is wrong on the surface, but the way that the King James Version states it and the way that Calvinists teach it is that God has elected you for salvation or he has elected you for condemnation. He beloved All people are beloved of God if they are in Christ and they come to Christ, they become actually beloved. How do we know that? That's what we call potential and actual. Christ died for every person on this planet. Every person, potentially. Okay? He only died for the people actually that come to him. There's a difference, and Calvinism fails to make that distinction.
0: Especially of those who believe.
1: That's right, especially of those who believe. Exactly. Nobody's left out of the equation, but only those who believe are included into the result of the equation. Good, very well said. Just like God knew
0: that that the cosmic shuffling of the cards would always come out perfectly. He knew. That's where the audacity of anybody who's a Calvinist to say, well, I know
1: too yeah so you don't how can you know like, you can't how can you know you god? that, that, like that yeah that's speaking for god when they say well i'm the elect i'm saved that's speaking for god who's the one that made the decision well how do you know and i, I talk about that in the, the um uh, sermon on that issue in the doctrine series is that some of those people that are calvinists now weren't calvinists before right Okay, They may have been Jehovah's Witnesses, they may have been Buddhists, they may have been whatever, and they believe that they were saved. So how do they suddenly claim now that they're saved? You see the the fallacy there? You see the the problem in their thinking? They have incorrectly evaluated the situation before, and there's no proof that they've evaluated it correctly this time. They can't know. It's speaking for God, and therefore we've got a bunch of gods running around calling themselves Calvinists. Anyway. Um, let's see here. Very well done. Thank you. Um, Neither here nor elsewhere in the New Testament is there any word... I read that. That's um, Charles uh, Ellicott's uh, thing. Let me continue on with it. And he says, um, uh, the sense in this passage appears to be defined by the succeeding context. That means the succeeding context of the next verse. The Thessalonians had been chosen to be members of the Christian church, and their conduct had justified the choice. In other words... The translation which ties by God to election is intended to support exactly what we were just saying, the Calvinist belief that God has pre-elected all who will be saved. To them, only those will be saved and the others he has pre-elected to be destroyed. Free will is not involved in the process. As Vincent's notes, this is a revolting doctrine. It also cannot be supported, excuse me, it cannot be supported by a right dividing of the word of god it is not there to be found it is not there to be inferred in any way shape or form and that's why translations are so hugely important that you get the right translation because if you don't get the right translation you will be faulty in your doctrine eventually okay unless you just got your doctrine apart from it and you were fortunate enough to have been taught properly and I'll give you an example of that I brought him up before is that I had a preacher uh, that affected my life very greatly he was a young guy he was one of the greatest preachers I'm talking about orators that I've ever heard he was marvelous I know you know who I'm talking about but he he was great great at preaching his theology was spot-on I sat in church and listened to him for about a year and I never heard anything I thought, that is suspect. He did say something wrong, kind of in dealing with the Passover one time, but he was, wasn't speaking about doctrine. He was referring to it as, uh, you know, the tradition of the Jewish people. And it wasn't really right. But other than that, I, it, he always taught very well in doctrine. And he said to me during a Bible study one time, well, I need to read the Old Testament sometime. He'd never read it, never read the Old Testament. And he did not have a real firm grasp of the New Testament. What he had was theology that was taught to him. And he was, I'm gonna use the word fortunate. He was blessed to have been taught the right theology. Whatever seminary he went to, they taught right. Because if he went to a different seminary, he'd be rolling around on the ground, speaking in nonsensical tongues and whatever, okay? He was taught properly, but he didn't know the word that well. And that was what was so surprising to me. And that's why I say, if you have proper doctrine and you don't know the Bible, that is by the grace of God alone. That's it. Because you could have been taught by somebody else that taught you improperly. The people that went to the seminary that I attended, Southern Evangelical Seminary, got really good doctrine for the most part. They, they did a really good job. There you know, are obviously some teachers that had some funny thinking. But for the most part, they did a very good job. And they just happened to pick that seminary. If they had picked another one, they may not have gotten that. So it was just by grace alone. Um, you know, and one of the things, I, I'm sure I brought it up in this class before. Maybe not, though. One of the things that they have you do when you go into a Bible college or a seminary, is they have you sign a statement of faith. And they say, this is what we teach, and this is what we believe, and we want you to agree to it, Okay. And so they went all the way through. And, you know, a statement of faith can be real short. And you say, yeah, I agree with that. And I'm just going to go in and figure out what they actually teach. Or the statement of faith may be very, very long and detailed, right? At Southern Evangelical Seminary, it was very long and detailed. And they wanted you to agree to all the things that they were talking about. I went through there and I found two words that were not explained. They were just stated in there. Total depravity and they didn't explain it and total depravity can be taken in 15 different ways and so i emailed the professor and i said well i can't sign this unless you explain to me what you define as total depravity and he came back and he said exactly what total depravity is supposed to mean exactly and i said good i'll sign this i'll have it to you today now when i got up to there because i had to go in residence uh two times For two weeks each so I had to go for four courses in residence and when I was up there I was in a class on Daniel and they were teaching the dispensational model in there because that's what the statement of faith said dispensational model we believe this 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 and this and this and you had to sign that statement and there were people sitting in there that said I've never heard this before Mm -hmm. this isn't what I believe and I thought you're sitting here having signed a document saying that this is what I believe when they had no idea what that document said. That's not a good way of running your life. You need to know what you are getting into. But and we're,
0: all, I, we're forced to do that on the internet. It's like, okay, I want to get this new app. Oh yeah, and they and make it's you like sign... like 72 pages. Do you know, know
1: that they're... I, I'm going to tell you something. Nothing once again to do with the Bible, but this is worth listening to. They will have... Those things, you have to sign them on everything. I'm getting, you know, an airplane ticket. You got to initial that block that says 4,000 things on the back that nobody reads in this real small print. There are people that sit down and read those. And they checked one time, a company, and it said that if you blah, 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 and they got like, I think it was $13,000 as a reward for having...
0: Picked out, picked
1: out wow. that thing. And so there were just a couple of people and then that ended. But they, they wanted to see how many people actually did that. And out of like four billion people that initialed that thing, I think it was two people. that, wow. And Thanks. they were... Anyway, it was amazing. I'd have to go back and find that article. It's It'll be, still be on the internet. But people, we sign things all the time. But I don't care about the, the agreement. I'm agreeing because I want to get on the airplane. Right. Not because I want to get to heaven. You
0: probably to, still got that check.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I don't. I don't read it. But I did read it when I was certifying something to do with the Bible. I'm going to tell oh, you sure. that I did. I, I read it, and it came down to two words out of pages. I want to know what you define as that because if you don't define it properly, I'm not going to attend this school. And boy, Professor Potter, he came back and he spot on. I'm coming, buddy. Okay, so. Um, uh, I, I guess I'm going to have to read this again because I don't know where I stopped off. Rather, Paul says to those at Thessalonica, knowing brothers beloved by God. Okay, not uh, by, uh, by, uh, elect by God, but beloved by God. He is stating that they are beloved by God because they have come to God through Christ. God knew this would occur, but it does not negate the fact that it occurred. God granted them the choice. They chose, and God saved. From there, Paul mentions your election, not by God. He says your election. This is tied into knowing. They know their election because they have called on Christ. This is what John 3.16 shows will happen. It's right there in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that... He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him and was preordained and elected by God before the creation of the world would be saved. It doesn't say that. It says all who believed will be saved. I've just stopped in the middle of it, so I don't remember where I stopped. But anyway, you get the point. All right, it doesn't, we add way too much. I always tell people, if you want to know if what you are believing, which is certainly wrong, if you want to know if it's wrong, Try inserting it into John 3.16. Right. Anything. I, you know, I'm a King James onlyist. Okay, well, let's see if that works. For God so loved the world that He uh, uh, gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him and reads the King James Version of the Bible will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Okay? Because they make that a condition of salvation in some churches. Okay? Baptism. I'm not talking, at baptism, it, we've got to go back to Acts to understand this. One group of people is told to baptize and uh, uh, repent and be baptized and they'll receive the Holy Spirit. It's because they had just crucified Christ, okay? But throw baptism in there, it doesn't work. Throw in attending the Church of Christ. Throw it in there, it doesn't work. If you cannot get your your thing that is stuck in your head into John 3:16, then it's wrong, Okay? Take any of the, the pet peeves that they say you must do this in order to be saved because the Church of Christ says if you're not in the Church of Christ and baptized in the Church of Christ, you're not going to be saved, okay? If it doesn't fit into John three 16, don't worry about it.
0: When did that church start?
1: Uh, in the 1800s or so. Yeah, it was uh, anyway. Um, they, they say that it builds upon this theology, builds upon this theology, and it's all wrong because they're taking acts in a prescriptive manner instead of a descriptive manner he
0: sells tons of books oh books.
1: yeah oh yeah absolutely there you go okay so um uh god granted them the choice they chose god say from there. oh we got to go from there paul mentions your election this is tied into knowing they know their election because they have called on christ and then that's where i left off john three sixteen shows that will happen this is what paul's letters say will happen and this is how it works when a person freely believes in Christ, they that person becomes the elect of God, okay? That's all there is to it. That's the way that the Bible works. That's the way theology works. Life application. John 3, oh, here it is, my example. John 3, 16, does not say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever is pre-elected by God is regenerated in order to believe, and then he believes, in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. No, it does not say this. If you are separated from God, call on Christ. Be forgiven of your sins and be reconciled to your heavenly Father. That's what God would ask us to do. It's funny that I, I, I say these things and then I never read my notes. I typed these like seven years ago. I don't read them and then I am saying the same thing I said seven years ago. So I, I just we need to be careful about treating this word tenderly and faithfully, and not twisting it or abusing it, and we need to make sure that when we teach it, we teach it the way that it was intended in the Greek, and that's hard, because, you know, going back and studying the Greek and, you know, understanding all of the nuances of it is not easy, but it is appropriate, because if you're just teaching out of a Bible that has errors in it, or, you know, translators are fallible they I'm certain they don't intentionally put those errors in there but although I translated a verse from uh, Acts last week the first thing I do every single time when I translate a verse in the Hebrew for the sermons or for the Greek for Acts I always um, check it against the King James Version and then I add the errors to the, the, the giant list of errors in the King James Version but I actually have to wonder if they didn't intentionally blow this verse it was like five words and they got four things wrong in it and I'm like I couldn't believe it it was that bad so um, I said to myself I wonder if they actually intended to just see if people would even catch this but whatever anyway here we go Heavenly Father we're very grateful to you for the chance to come into your your presence and to share in your word and to think on the majesty of who you are. Oh God, you're so beautiful, you're so perfect, and the fact that we can shuffle 52 cards for eternity and not come up with the same deck shows us the magnificence of you who created all things. We we, we take tinker toys, God, and we equate them to something marvelous, and we neglect to praise you. Forgive us for this and help us to always consider your your stupendous nature and to appreciate you and all your fullness all the days of our lives thank you oh God for revealing yourself to us through this word thank you for sending Jesus to redeem us we love you and we praise you we exalt you in his name amen, amen. Ah. okay let me back this up for the folks online and Sergio's not here to make the sound work so we're going to lose sound but we'll wave to you anyway sign language